You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Thanks for joining us, folks. Again, this is Real Presence Live, having some great conversations this morning. First thing, we uh, visit with Father Shane Stevens from Dell Rapids in South Dakota, St. Mary's. His Generations to Generations Campus Renewal Project there. So if you're uh, heading south there on 29th, stop in and uh, at St. Mary's in Dell Rapids and say hi. I think he'd love to give you a tour of what they're doing there. Um, we just visited with Dr. Kevin Vost about Aquinas' Lenten meditations. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking for some great meditations here for Lent, check that out at um, the uh, their website, which is sophiainstitute.com. Um, and he also mentioned uh, Aquinas' Aquinas on the Four Last Things, a couple of great books you might mm-hmm. want to check out um, as you prepare for Lent and get your uh, your meditation reading materials uh, ready sitting there on your, your bedpost um, as you're ready to prepare for that. And now... We're going to shift over uh, to Duluth, Minnesota, where we have Father Richard Kunst, uh, who was in Rome, I believe, when Pope Benedict XVI's funeral was happening. Is that correct, Father? Well, not the funeral, but when he died. Mm. When he died, okay. So, uh, so talk to us a little bit about that. Well, we, you know, I lead these uh, little small group tours over to Rome and took a little hiatus during COVID, but now they're back with a force, and so I've got a number of trips lined up, and uh, I had brought three couples over to Rome. We left uh, on the 27th of December, and no concept that uh, you know Pope Benedict was ailing. And as soon as I landed over there, I had gotten a text message from somebody back in the States saying that, basically, you're going to be there when a pope dies. And so I, I thought, well, I hadn't heard anything about that, so I quickly figured it out that Pope Benedict was not doing well, and then I, you know, paid really close attention to it at that point, of course, and and uh, he had stabilized, and so I thought things were going to be fine with him, and and then uh, that same person on uh, the uh, on the last day of the year of uh, January, December 31st on 2022, I got a text again after I had just led uh, my group to a small little bit of a tour of St. Mary Major that uh, that the Pope had died, and so um, I went around to each of them after I'd given them some free time to tell them, and 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 so it was kind of just like a, a shocking thing, you know, because I mean, Popes die like everybody else, but they don't, it's not a common thing, we don't normally have a lot of Popes, and so the last one that died was in 2005, John Paul II, before that was 1978, mm. so these are not common things, and, and uh, the last time a retired Pope died was in 1295, so it was a really long time ago, so an uncommon uh, experience, and you know, we after we left St. Mary Major, and it was pretty cool, all the churches started to ring their bells in Rome. And so it was like just a real powerful experience. And I took out my phone just to record them. Most of the, mostly what you're hearing is St. Mary Major's. We can hear all the other bells in the in the background. But it was just a, a great response that, that the churches in Rome uh, did upon the news of, of the death of the Holy Father. And then even, even before he died, as we knew that he was not doing well, you know, I go to, you know, certain restaurants that are my favorites there in Rome, and, and uh, you know, the waiters were coming up to me and say, oh, we have to pray for our Holy Father, we have to pray for our Holy Father. And so it's like, it was very much in the mind of the Romans that Pope Benedict was not doing well. And so uh, it was really it was really an experience to be able to be in Rome at that period of time to just experience what the Church would experience with something like that uh, right there in the local in the local Church of Rome itself. You know, it's interesting. We were in Italy, too, um, at that same time. We were already, we had been in Rome. We were in Rome on the 27th uh, through the 30th, and then we oh. headed up north, and we were out in the hill country um, in Tuscany. 
And uh, I, didn't, I didn't have any, I had no internet where we were staying up there, but Monsignor Gehring, uh, who was with us, you know, he, in the morning he said, uh, Pope uh, Benedict died last night. Um, and it was kind of an interesting, kind of a peaceful thought. You know, it's just that we were out in the area where we had nothing going on. And I was, I was, when I got back from Italy, people uh, said, so what was it like? Were people really like, you know, lamenting and, um, and, uh, over the death of Pope, Fran- oh, Pope Benedict? And I said, you know, out there in the boonies, I didn't hear anything. Mm. It was like I was completely right. disconnected from what was going on. So that's interesting to note. And, of course, it would make sense in Rome um, that they were very aware of it. Um, but but outside of outside of Rome, there was less awareness of of sure. this activity. Um, and so, were you in Rome for the funeral then, or you said you were, you were gone by that point? No, we were gone at that point. So uh, basically, um, uh, what had happened is that uh, you know we had already had our trips. I didn't know with no idea that the Pope was going to mm-hmm. die like that. But for three days prior to the actual funeral, there was um, uh, his body was. I mean, maybe the the equivalent of our laying in state. His body was out um, uh, right in front of the main altar, St. Peter's Basilica, and they opened it up to the public and for the three days. And so the first day I brought my group, I said, I said to the group, I said, I'm a diehard about this. And so it's like, I'm going to wait in line no matter how long it takes. If you guys don't want to wait that long, you guys can have a free day, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm their tour guide. And, mm-hmm. and so they all, they were all troopers, and we got there two hours before they even opened up the doors. And, and uh, there were definitely thousands and thousands of people that were there in that early morning. And uh, and so they opened up the doors, and we probably waited another probably about another forty five minutes to an hour before we actually were able to get into the um, uh, you know right within the view of, of Pope Benedict. And so uh, we were able to get pretty close to him. You've probably seen some pictures online, but uh, it's not like he's in a casket. His whole body's on like a platform, hmm. and then kind of like on a couple of pillows. So he's kind of like um, you know raised at, at, at an angle and. And uh, very, so it was the first day, they were pretty quick about getting us, you know, because there's thousands of people there, pretty quick about giving us a very brief time. And then, and then uh, you can walk past and maybe get another glimpse for just a little bit off to the side, and, but they're still moving along. Hmm. And so it was a really quick experience, but still a very, very powerful one. And, and, uh, and so it was great to be able to be there for the whole, you know, um, with my whole group to be able to experience that and know that it was history. And then the next day, uh, I w- they started uh, the line a little bit earlier. So the first day they started at 9 a.m. that they opened to the public. The next day they opened it to the public at 7 a.m. So I mm. got there super early to go again just by myself this time. And and uh, I was able to spend a little bit more time there because the crowds were a little bit smaller at that point. So they were a little bit more lenient with the time I was able to, to spend there and pray. Mm. It's, pr- it's a great experience. Cause, you know, I mean, uh, for the listeners that might not know, I, I mean, uh, people history is kind of like my... My great interest, and so in that in that um, uh, interest, it was just like of all the priests that should be there, it should be me because I'm the guy that's most into papal history, at least around mm. these parts, you know. So, Father, you had mentioned that you kind of were in the habit prior to COVID uh, going to leading groups to Saint Saint Peter's or to Rome. Um, did you did you ever go? Were you ever there when Benedict was? There? Did you ever have the opportunity to meet him or to oh, yeah. see him? Well, I mean, I, I've shaken his hand. You know, I mean, before he was Pope. He used to live, um, uh, he lived in an apartment that was across St. Peter's Square from where he worked, the offices where he worked. So it was a very common thing uh, when John Paul II was Pope to see Benedict walk across the St. Peter's Square. And, you know, he's famous Cardinal, Cardinal Rossinger, mm-hmm. and, and I always wanted to just respect his privacy, so I never once went and introduced myself or, or greeted him, even though I saw him do this fairly often. And, and you know, I, of course, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I have full of regrets. I wish I had my photo <laughs> taken with him at one of these times. But uh, 
many times I had the opportunity, and I was going to other papal events during John Paul II's time a lot, and seeing, you know, Ratzinger as part of that. And so, yeah, I mean, he was always kind of just a fixture in Rome, you know? Mm. Mm. Amazing. And do you, so of course, uh, many know that you uh, are a uh, Vatican um, relics, or a Vatican history Papal buff. Artifacts. Papal, Papal artifacts. artifacts. There you go. Yeah. Um, so do you have any artifacts of Benedict, Benedict the Sixteenth? Oh, sure, sure. In fact, just yesterday I, I acquired something that's quite unique. Well, I'm, uh, in 1990, uh, was it, no, it was two, 2014. In 2014, he was, his brother Jorge had celebrated his 90th birthday, and they did a small, um, uh, um, uh, uh, concert in the Vatican in honor of his 90th birthday, and and so um, uh, I got from one of the organizers of that concert an autograph photo signed by the two brothers, mm. of the two of the brothers together, and then they both signed it. And I've never seen anything like that, and so that's that's pretty much of a one of a kind, one of a kind. Because that's just I just got that yesterday, believe it or not. And then you know I've got um, uh, you know one of his zucchettos, and I've got um, uh, I got his uh, several of his holy cards from when he was ordained a priest. Mm. In fact. Um, I got one of them that he signed at his ordination uh, as a as a young priest, and I've also got the invitations to his ordination as a priest. And so those are that's a super uncommon thing to to have the invitations of his priesthood ordination. I was just thinking and you then, must have quite the pipeline there to be be acquiring such items. Yeah, well, it's just I got a lot of connections. So <laughs> there's 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 a lot of other things I have of Benedict as well, but those are the things that pop in my head right now. So as a uh, as you think of, of Pope Benedict and Cardinal Ratzinger, um, what are your greatest memories? Uh, you know, how, how will you remember him? And of course, the next question is, how do you think the, the church will remember him? But for yourself, what are your, how, how will you remember uh, Pope Benedict XVI and Cardinal Rat, Ratzinger? Well, I think that, I think that um, uh, you know, Benedict XVI would normally be a giant, mm-hmm. but I think that he might be overshadowed for history under John Paul II. You know, but uh, in a large way, he kind of made, helped make John Paul II. And so uh, I think that he's, he's an, an incredible hope for all sorts of different ways. His humility, I think that is probably the most striking thing, but then also his, his great um, love of liturgy, obviously, and his wanting to bring the beauty of liturgy, but then also his, the most brilliant theological mind probably of the 20th century. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know. Uh, growing up, it was my dad was always quoting Cardinal Ratzinger and saying, "Hey, you got to you got to hear what he has to say about liturgy and this and and, and here." And it, again, it's a, a great. I think you're right. And actually, many people have talked about when he was made Pope after John Paul II. Is it was kind of like a, a natural progression mm-hmm. of of it kind of was a good fit of uh, following the the work of John Paul II that uh, Cardinal Ratzinger was made Pope uh, Benedict right. the Sixteenth. Um, and it, you know, it's kind of a I, it, what struck me was that that he passed away on the last day of the year, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of like a you know a completion of a year, a completion of a lifetime. Mm-hmm. That was the first thing that stopped you know crossed my mind when Monsignor said uh, Pope Benedict uh, or the sixteenth passed away last night, um, and uh, something to reflect on. I think it is interesting how the Lord uh, has these little mile markers in our lives, mm-hmm. and then that we can see them in other people's lives where. It's like, oh, I, I think the Lord was very present. Did you, do you, I remember reading his last words. Was it, Jesus, I love you, my Lord, I need yeah, you, something yeah. like that? Yeah, something like, Jesus, I love you, I think. Yeah. Or, my Lord, I love you, something like that. Yeah, I think that's what I read were his last words. Um, so, well, folks, uh, we're going to continue this conversation. These aren't our last words. We're going to come back on the other <laughs> side of the break and continue this conversation with uh, Father Richard Kunst about Pope Benedict Sixteenth um, and, and his legacy um, and that experience of being um, in Rome in Italy uh, while he, uh, when he passed away. So this is Real Presence Live. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back.
Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live to come on the Real Presence Radio Network. Daily Meditations of Pope Benedict XVI, presented by Leonardo Di Filippis of St. Luke Productions. The Yes of Believing. Ascent is produced by the will, not by the understanding's own direct insight. Believing is not an act of the understanding alone, not simply an act of the will, not just an act of feeling, but an act in which all the spiritual powers of man are at work together. Still more, man in his own self and of himself cannot bring about this believing at all. It has of its nature the character of a dialogue. It is only because the depth of the soul, the heart, has been touched by God's word that the whole structure of spiritual powers is set in motion and unites in the yes of believing. It is through all this that we also begin to see the particular kind of truth with which believing is concerned. Theology talks about saving truth. Everything a man does or allows to happen to him can, ultimately, be derived from his will to be happy. When the heart comes into contact with God's logos, with the Word who became man, this inmost point of his existence is being touched. Then he does not merely feel, he knows from within himself, that is it. That is he. That is what I was waiting for. It is a kind of recognition, for we have been created in relation to God. This meditation is taken from Benedictus, published by Ignatius Press and Magnificat, and produced by St. Luke Productions. Learn more at stlukeproductions.com. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. This is Real Presence Live. Steve Sponskowski in studio here along with Brad Gray. And uh, we're also visiting with Father Richard Kunst, who's the pastor of St. James Paris, Parish in West Duluth. Um, he was in Rome at the time when Pope Benedict XVI passed away, and he actually act, had uh, had the opportunity to go and view the body there. Um, at uh, was, it, was he at St. Peter's? He was at St. Peter's, yes. At St. Peter's there. Um, and, and, and to be there for that opportunity. We've been talking about kind of the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI, also um, known, popularly known as Cardinal Ratzinger before he was Pope Benedict XVI. Uh, Father Kunst, how, how do you think the Church uh, will remember Pope Benedict XVI? Well, I think that it's a, I honestly think it's a matter of time he'll be a canonized saint. Of course, well, a lot of the popes recently have been canonized more than a normal. Uh, and so I think he'll be a saint. I think that he'll, he, one day that the church will um, raise him to the altars. But I think that, you know, I mean, you know, as kind of a papal history buff that I am, uh, I, you know, I think that un- the unfortunate thing, as great as Benedict was, is that he's going to probably be mostly recalled as the guy that resigned because mm-hmm. it was such an uncommon thing. And that's an unfortunate thing because his papacy and just his person and his contributions to the church is so much larger than that. But, I mean, when they write the history books, 
that will be the the totally unique thing about him, at least in recent centuries. And and even if 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 it starts to become a trend, even if we start to see popes retire on a regular basis from here on out, it'll always be him who started the trend. Mm. You know, and so so I I don't like that, but you know I, he had to be fully aware of that when he was making that decision. And, you know, I mean, even when, you know, you'd, you'd hear reports about how Benedict was doing for the years after that, because it was, what, almost 10 years uh, that he was Pope Emeritus, is that he still was always totally with it, you know, that, that his, he never lost any sense of his mental acuity. And so, you know, I mean, as, as Pope Francis just said recently, he said a pope does not rule with his knee, he rules with his brain and his mind. And so there'll be a lot of people, I think, that'll be speculating in the in the future, and even now, it's like, should he have done that? Was it was it appropriate for him to do that? And and so, as much of a giant as he would be on his own, under out from under the shadows of John Paul II, I think that um, uh, d- despite that giant status that he should have, I think that unfortunately uh, it will be the Pope that resigned that might be mm. the headlines of his of his papacy. You know, there's a, another narrative kind of in the the secular arena that uh, that went around with Pope Benedict that I think was you know, really quite unjust in, in you know, especially to his time with the, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith. He was kind of seen as like this pit bull, this, um, you know, this almost heartless uh, defender of the faith without any regard. And it was so much the opposite of, of Benedict, yeah. right? Oh, exactly. I mean, the thing is that he, he was always in the, uh, the shadow of John Paul II, and he wasn't the Pope. John Paul was. And so he was the guy that was in charge of you know, from the secular standpoint, excommunicating people and correcting mm-hmm. people, and 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 so there becomes a caricature of people like that that don't have the opportunity really to have a platform to uh, to speak on their own behalf and to see what they really are like. But mm-hmm. you're right; it was totally um, uh, it was totally unfair to him. He was of I heard somebody um, it was John Allen, John Allen, who does um, a crux now. He's a big Vaticanologist, and John Allen said. The only really true humble pope we've had in the last three popes was Benedict. Hmm. That he was the most humble of all of them, and, wow. and so in in his meekness and his humility, uh, he was the exact opposite of the caricature that that like secular media made of him, which is unfortunate. Yes. But he was, I think, he was always misunderstood. I think you have somebody of this type of a uh, intellect and and this role of his to keep the faith pure and the liturgy pure. That that's going to come into a conflict with a lot of people that don't like the church, you know, and 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 uh, don't have time for the for the church. And so, I think that he's going to be one of these characters that we see right now, and uh, even in the past, that will continue to be misunderstood, you know. You know, it's interesting that you're bringing that out because you said he was kind of in the shadow of Pope John Paul II, also kind of in the shadow of Pope Francis as well, because you know, people are always going back and saying, well, what does is, what is Pope Benedict XVI think about what Pope Francis is doing right now? He kind of like, he was always in the shadow a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, and even maybe going back, as you mentioned, that his greatest gift was humility. Uh, you know, not having a great legacy um, and knowing that um, is also kind of a response of humility and, and being okay with that. I remember I, 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 read, it, I read an interview um, that was... Uh, was conducted with his secretary, um, and I think the secretary also has now written a memoirs um, of that, or he's working on it. And one of the things that he says, you know, that somebody asked the question about what Pope Francis was doing on, on a certain topic, and he said, well, I'm not, I am not uh, the uh, Pope of the Church right now. He is. Mm-hmm. And that was his first response. And then that was his response, and then the secretary went, but however, his personal opinion was, I'm like, well, I'm just going to stop here. I'm going to stop right, right here and recognize that Pope Francis is the Pope, 
of the church right now. And Pope Benedict XVI first and foremost recognized that authority mm. um, and, and, and the Holy Spirit in that. But and see, I thought but that see, was that humility. That's, I would actually disagree with you about the legacy thing, the great legacy thing about his being in the shadows. Sure. I think that Benedict's legacy in, you know, I mean, we can argue the legacies and the things that he did as papist, as, a, as a pope in his pontificate, but I think probably one of his greatest legacies is when you talk to seminarians today, who, who's the one that they're pointing to as their inspiration? It's hmm. Benedict. Hmm. You know, less and less John Paul, only because of the, the passage of time. But you don't hear a lot of seminarians talking about Francis as being their, their inspiration, but you do hear a ton of them with Benedict. And so... So Benedict, I think, is going to be influencing the church and how the church goes for a good, you know, 75 to 100 years, because he's such a huge, important personality and inspiration to the to the guys that are in seminary now and the newly ordained. That's awesome. I, think, that, I think that's going to be his legacy. I really do. Yeah, I was um, I was struck too as you were talking about his humility and, and really the, it was, the reality of the way he carried himself the way the the way that he was was really this polar opposite of the the kind of the pit bull that he's portrayed as in the secular media and he's the one who gave us beautiful encyclicals on god's love right steve you're talking about how that was one of the things that really touched you is god is love uh, well actually one of the things i feel like over the years has really shaped my own work in evangelization through catholic radio and now with the diocese is the prayer at the end of god is love his book that encyclical um, and it's just, it just struck me. He's like, so here, here's the their very last paragraph, this prayer. Holy Mary, Mother of God, you have given the world its true light, Jesus, your Son, the Son of God. You abandoned yourself completely to God's call and thus became a wellspring of the goodness which flows forth from him. Show us Jesus. Lead us to him. Teach us to know and love him so that we too can become capable of true love and be fountains of living water in the midst of a thirsting world. I mean, it's going back to like St. Bernard of Clairvaux talking about how we're fountains that are filled up um, and we overflow into a thirsting world. That prayer just like, oh, it just grabs my heart. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is where we are at today. So that, uh, from, uh, that's really going to be for myself, the legacy of Pope Benedict XVI, his book on God is love, and that sense that we're called each to be filled up with the sacraments so that we can overflow into a thirsting world. Yeah, I mean, he was he was a... To me, he was much easier to read than John Paul because mm. John Paul was the philosopher and Benedict was the theologian. And as a theologian, uh, it's an easier, at least for me personally, it's an easier read. And so I can, I can really absorb Benedict's writings a lot better than I could absorb John Paul's writings only because of philosophy versus theology. Mm. And, and certainly, Steve, as you just uh, read that prayer, that, that's a proof positive right there. Yeah, you know, another area that I, I thought that um, Pope Benedict offered a, a brilliant contribution to the church is um, there's an article in uh, the National Catholic Register from back at the beginning of the, uh, the month here uh, written by Scott Hahn. And he talked about how uh, Benedict actually helped in uh, responding to some of the, the trends within uh, contemporary scripture scholarship, which is an approach of, of criticism, an approach of skepticism. Um, you know, there are things back in the, what was it, 70s or 80s, where they had the Jesus Seminar, where they come together to vote on whether Jesus actually said this or Jesus actually did this. And, and a lot of uh, scripture scholarship uh, for the last, uh, you know, century plus has been uh, approaching scripture with a light of, of, of dis, um, skepticism of disbelief. And Benedict really called for this hermeneutic of faith. Uh, he called for, a, in his uh, works, uh, Jesus of Nazareth, he called for a critique of criticism. That oftentimes what scriptural scholars will do these days is they'll look for some hidden agenda 
that supposedly the church had in in you know redactions of scriptures and jesus didn't actually say this because this is just the church putting words into jesus mouth and uh benedict and jesus of nazareth at the beginning he calls for like an analysis of the agenda of those calling that, that claim that there's an agenda and the church's part uh, uh, do you know what i'm talking about there's he, he really went into this uh biblical theology and uh, beginning with the standpoint of faith, like St. Augustine's, I believe so as to understand, I understand the better to believe, that the, our first posture toward the faith and toward scriptures is one of, of belief. Well, in recent years, scripture scholarship, I shouldn't say recent years, in recent decades, scripture mm-hmm. scholarship was looked at more of a science than a, a thing of faith, and so mm-hmm. that's where the historical critical method might have gone amok. Mm-hmm. There's a place for it, but yes. not to the extreme. And so, yeah, you know, I mean, I just point to the book that, or the series that you already just mentioned, the Jesus of Nazareth series that Benedict wrote as Pope, three, three volumes. If, if as listeners have, if you've never read them, uh, buy them. I mean, they're they're incredible. They're they are absolutely incredible in regards to bringing Jesus to life in a spiritual sense of the word, using true scripture scholarship and theology in the proper use of the you know of those um, disciplines, and so. Uh, I would strongly encourage those three volumes. An easier read than what you might think, but mm-hmm. still not a, a blast easy read. But uh, <laughs> but w- well worth it. Maybe a Lenten thing. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it just it, I certainly encourage those books. Yeah, wonderful. We've got a couple more minutes to the break here, uh, Father K- uh, Richard Kunst. Any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I just uh, you know, I I like to you know we pray for uh, Pope Benedict, uh, but I'm you know I'm I'm not too concerned about where he is, and so. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, uh, I've, all, I've, I've already taken uh, one of his relics, of, actually uh, one of his Zucchettos, and prayed with a, a friend of mine who's got uh, cancer, and so mm. use it as a relic. And so I think it's totally appropriate to pray for the intercessions of, uh, for um, Pope Benedict to pray for us. And, mm. and I think that there's, uh, there's definitely going to be a canonization in the future. It might not happen in our lifetime, but um, I would certainly encourage people to pray to Pope Benedict. Mm. Excellent. Folks, uh, we were just visiting with Father Richard Kuntz, um, St. James Parish in Duluth. And, uh, of course, what's your website again? It's uh, Vatican Archives, or what, Vatican? No, it's, it's uh, papalartifacts.com. Papalartifacts.com. Papal. You can see yeah, everything that's on there in regards to Pope Benedict and all the popes that are in there. So it's a, it's a great website if you want to peruse that a little bit and just see the collection and see histories and videos of, of the popes. Papalartifacts.com. Father Kuntz, thank you so much for being with us here today. Great. Thanks a lot, guys. God bless you, folks. This is Real Presence Live. We're going to step away for a break, but on the other side, we're going to introduce a new member of the team here at Real Presence Radio. Aaron Bosch is going to join us. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. 